All right, time to make you hungry. Who doesn't love fresh baked goods? Sort of half a hands, but how about this? This picture of this fresh baked bread. How about slopping some garlic butter on there and eat it with your spaghetti or whatever? And then you got the next one, a cinnamon roll. Who likes cinnamon rolls? Look at you guys. I see the drool just kind of. And then the next one is our brownies and cookies, right? You like that stuff. Lord knows at Novation we dig us some, some donuts, right? Well, if you had a donut that didn't have sugar in it, would you eat it? Or a substitute sugar, fake sugar? No, the sugar is what draws us to eat a donut. Because there's zero nutritional value to it. It's all just the pleasure of your taste buds enjoying the sugar and the frosting and all that comes with that. Joy is the missing ingredient in a lot of people's lives. They lack joy. But Jesus said that he was going to leave his joy with us. His joy. We have a joyful God. And he says, I'm going to leave my joy with you. Not joy like the world gives Worldly joy is based on circumstances. His joy goes beyond even the worst of circumstances. There's a lot of substitute joys. When my girls were little, uh, bought them an uh, easy-bake oven. Anybody have an easy-bake oven in your house? So the first time we... I'll never forget this. We were in Chase's room. We plugged in the, the easy-bake oven... And they put together all the little ingredients that come with the package. And like you're plugging in an oven in a bedroom to an outlet. Like how good is this really going to be? And I remember them making the treats. And then they said, here, here, dad. And I ate it and, and I almost threw up. Like it just was no good. And I faked my way through that, and I didn't tell them until they were older that, that was, those treats were terrible. And they powered the, their way through it, too, as well, because they were having fun. But if you look at the, the package, um, on look how good they make those things look in an easy-bake oven. Right. That's from a bakery. That's, that's, you don't get that out of an easy-bake oven. And I think in life, in life there's... Real joy and, and, and substitutes can be a lot like the difference between baking with an easy-bake oven and really a first-class bakery. There's, there's a world of difference there. We're in a series called Whosoever Believes, where we're taking the letters of the New Testament from Romans to Revelation, and we're mining these letters that were written, we see throughout the book of Acts and, and, and the Apostle Paul and many different writers writing these letters to encourage the churches and to educate the churches and what did it mean to follow Jesus and how to follow Jesus. And the, today we're going to look at the book of Philippians. And Philippians is one of Paul's letters that he wrote from prison. He was in Rome awaiting a sentence for preaching the kingdom of Jesus or that his allegiance to the king of kings rather than the emperor of Rome. And he ultimately, church history tells us, he got beheaded for preaching what I'm saying today to you, the great news about Jesus. 
So Paul's in prison when he writes this. And the unique part about Philippians, it's the most joyful book in the, in the Bible. The word joy, joyful, rejoice is used like 16 different times. And so it's a joyful book written from prison. And here's what you got to know. You can have joy in spite of something that might feel like a prison to you today. Some sort of difficulties that you're going to. Speaking of joy, how many know relationships can be the source of some of our greatest joy, but also some of our greatest pain? Relationships can be be the source of pain or the source of joy. We were created for relationships. Some of us can tolerate more relationships than others, depending upon how extroverted you are. But even introverted people need connection. It's not good that we be alone. God told Adam in the garden. And so for, uh, Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, really give us a blueprint for relationships on how to pursue joy in relationships. And for some of you who are thinking, I don't know how I'm going to do that in this friendship, this marriage, this family, this coworker. How do I pursue joy? Let's see what the Apostle Paul has to say. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for you all. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the day, first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. How do we pursue joyful relationships? I saw four things in here that help us to pursue joy in your friendships, in your marriage, with your family, with your fellow students, coworkers, whatever area you have relationship, in church, obviously, as well. The first thing I see is be grateful for those relationships. Be grateful for them. Sometimes it's not easy to be grateful for the people in your life. But he's saying, be grateful for the people in your life. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. We will be far more joyful in relationships if we learn how to be grateful for the people that God's put in our lives. You can always find something to be grateful for in your relationships. Why is this so hard? Well, the longer you know someone, right, the more you take them for granted. Is that not true? 
The longer you know someone, the easier it is to take them for granted. The longer you know someone, the more you focus on their faults. It's easy to focus on people's faults. The longer you know someone, the, easy, the easier it becomes to build resentment. I was thinking about this. Resentment. Oh, did you hear that? An old. Resentment happens when we're offended and the offense isn't dealt with through forgiveness and reconciliation. You, you get offended and then that resentment is like, like a brick. And if we don't forgive and reconcile, that brick stays there. And then another offense happens, right? And then, you know, right now with just the two things that a resentment, the wall that's being built, I, I can, even I can get over that pretty easy back and forth. But if you don't deal with those bricks of resentment, then over time, you get a brick wall like that. And all of a sudden, you can't see each other anymore. You can't hear each other anymore. There's a wall of resentment. So I would encourage everybody to remove these bricks. Remove the bricks with, with grace, forgiveness, and reconciliation is what, what we need. And then gratefulness in relationships is a choice to remember the good things about who you're in relationship with and to focus on the good times that you've had. Marriages, friendships die when you stop doing that. When you stop remembering the good or acknowledging the good, it begins to erode. Choose not to dwell on the bad in your relationships. That's what God does with us. If he chose to focus on Scott's flaws, I'm done because I'm aware of them every single day. Anybody with me on that? We're aware of that. But God loves us, and he chooses to focus on, on what's good in us and ultimately his son in us. Secondly, to be grateful for your relationships and then be prayerful. For your relationships. Be prayerful for the people that are your key relationships in your life. Do you pray for your spouse? Do you pray for your kids? Do you pray for your parents? Do you pray for your friends? That's so, so vital. He says, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Praise with joy. Think of those strained relationships in your life if you have them right now. Are you praying for him? Are you praying for that person? Because positive prayer is way better than positive thinking. Praying for someone. A couple thoughts on this. Pray for the people in your life rather than complaining about them. Spouses, don't complain about your spouse to others. I'm not saying there's not a place to vent uh, struggles. There is for that, but... Complaining about somebody is just going to continue to build that wall. It'll continue to build that wall. Don't complain about your kids. Don't complain about your parents. Pray for them. And then the quickest way to change a bad relationship is to start praying for them. Start praying. It's hard to stay mad at someone and pray for them at the same time. 
I mean, I guess it could be something like this. God, I pray blessings over this person. It just doesn't really, like it's oil and water. It just doesn't go hand in hand. The, the, the best way you can know that you've forgiven somebody is when you can pray God's blessing for them. If you can ask God's blessing over their life, you have forgiven the wrongs and the offenses that have, have happened to you. So let's look and unpack what Paul prayed. He said this, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more, more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I saw four things there, right? You can, there's a little prayer guide on how to pray for your relationships in your life. First of all, pray that that person will grow in their ability to love, to receive the love of God, and to give love back. Pray that they'll grow in love. That's what verse 9 said. And then pray that they'll make wise choices. Pray that they'll make wise choices. He says that you'll be able to discern what is best. And then pray that they'll live with integrity. He says that they may be pure and blameless. And I think those two points there are the definition of the fear of the Lord. We see throughout the Proverbs and and, in the Hebrew Scriptures, we see what the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. And the definition of the fear of the Lord is to be in awe of God, to reverence Him, and to have a healthy respect for His definition of right and wrong and good and evil. That's what it means to fear the Lord. We respect what God calls good and what He calls right and what He calls wrong. And then pray that they will become like Jesus. Parents, if you're a parent, this is a great prayer guide. If you don't know how to pray over your kids, take this little passage, Philippians 1, 9 through 11, and just pray that. Throughout Paul's epistles, in in my Bible, when Paul talks about, is is praying in blue, I highlight that. And when you don't know how to pray, you can just take the, the, the prayers of Paul and pray them over yourself and over those in your life. And then, thirdly, so we're, be grateful for our relationships, be prayerful, and then believe the best. Believe the best about the relationships in your life. I know that's hard to do sometimes. When people are at their worst, it's hard to believe the best about them. It's difficult. But is that not what God does for you and I? It is. It's what He does. He's, he's not looking for a finished product in us. He knows the process of becoming like Christ And he's patient with us as a good father. I love this verse. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. If God started a work in your life or the person you're in relationship with, he will carry it on to completion. Said that there. And it's not our job to do it. It's his. He takes responsibility for that. doesn't mean we don't participate or we don't cooperate. We do. To be joyful means that I can't always focus on the mistakes of those I'm in relationship with. He's working and will complete it. When I was in the ninth grade, a long time ago, 
When I was in the ninth grade, I heard the gospel for the first time. I'd heard about Jesus, that he came, lived, and died, and, and rose again. And I, I, I agreed with him and, and started following Jesus. And I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that a seed was planted in my heart in the ninth grade. But you wouldn't know that 10th, 11th, 12th, uh, freshman year of college and so on. I mean, I went on to, in the 11th grade, I said, Jesus, I, I, don't, I can't do this. And I was all about, it was rules and regulations and my teenage flesh was wanting to have its way and just yo-yo, right? Anybody relate to that so you make me feel better about myself? Thank you. Um, And then I, in the 11th grade, I said, I said, Jesus, I can't do this to you. And so my heart didn't get hard overnight, but gradually it got worse and worse and worse. And October 26, 1992, fast forward, um, I was, uh, received Jesus. I, I, he received me and I received him. And that seed that was planted in the ninth grade, he who began a good work in me was faithful to complete that work. I have a, a good friend of mine whose um, youngest son, you know, raised in a Christian home and, and raised to follow Jesus in high school, just went off the rails and total rebellion to the point where my friend was like, I don't know if he's going to make it. I'm afraid he's going to die, let alone his, where his soul is right now. And we would pray and just continue to believe God, even in his discouragement. And he who began a good work in his son, guess what? He's faithful to, to plant him as a tree by living waters like Psalm 1 says. And his son is wholehearted devotion to Jesus now, today. When it looked bleak for him. So hang in there. If you've got people who are wayward or prodigal in your life, hang in there. He who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. So, a couple thoughts on this. Don't, don't insist on perfection when we don't expect perfection of ourselves. That's something I figured out a while ago. We as people, and we, we expect more for others sometimes than we do of ourselves. And we need to reverse that. A couple thoughts. Lead them to God-centered confidence. When you're believing the best about somebody, lead them to a God-centered confidence. And then remind yourself and them of their potential. Isn't it good when somebody sees potential in you, when you don't feel it or see it, you feel like a loser and somebody says, I see it in you. You got what it takes. I really think dads, that message to your son has to be from the time he's little to all through his life, you got what it takes. You can do this. I believe in you. Dads to your daughters, tell your daughters that they're lovely and lovable. They need to hear that from you. That message has to be conveyed. And then exercise patience with the people in your life. I got a patient wife who is patient with me in my, in my own personal growth, and I thank God for that. I got patient kids who are patient with me. And uh, I was telling you a little bit about my story those years in between ninth grade and October 26, 1992, I lived a pretty hedonistic lifestyle. 
And uh, my dad and mom became followers of Jesus at the age of 50 and 48, my freshman year of college. And they fell in love with Jesus. And my dad would tell me about Jesus all the time. And he hated my lifestyle. I had really long hair because of was 80s rock band and all that stuff. And he would always ask me to cut my hair. And, um, but you know what? He never gave up on me. He always invited me to his house to watch the Broncos or to go to sporting events, have me over for dinner. He knew my lifestyle and, and hated that, but he loved me. He truly did. And he prayed fervently that I would come to know Jesus. Well, as I said, on October 26, 1992, it was a Monday. Not many people become Christians on a Monday. <laughs> it's usually walking the aisle on Sunday. But we were, had a, he, my dad had an insurance business, and we had an office out in Lakewood off 6th and Union. And that morning, God had been really drawing me that summer. And I just agreed with Jesus in my office that he was Lord and Savior and that I was giving my life back to him. Here's the keys, Lord, I'm following you. And that day, we were, my dad and I were going to lunch, and I'll never forget this. We were driving down Union Street, picking a place to go eat, and I was sitting shotgun. And I say, Dad, um, I gave my life to Jesus this morning. He goes, oh, that's good. Just kept driving. And then it hit him what I had just said. And he had to pull the car over and to the side of the road, and he wept over me, tears of joy, just sobbing that, that his prodigal son had, had come home. And uh, it was an amazing, amazing memory. But I, I thank God for my dad and, and his patience that he had towards me and believing the best about me and not rejecting me. So celebrate people on how far they've come rather than judging how far they have to go. Celebrate how far they've come rather than just looking and saying, you got a long way to go. Lastly, to have good relationships, believe that you can love them like Jesus does. Love like Jesus does. I think Eric Church has a song, She Loves Me Like Jesus Does. Any Eric Church fans? Just me. He's pretty cool. Check him out. Um, he says this, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ. If you're married and have kids, you're going to relate to this. If you, if you don't, aren't married and don't have kids, tuck it away because it'll come in handy one day. I had an aha moment one time where we, give, we would give grace to our kids if they went prodigal, rejected us, moved away, and then came back. We would take them home and embrace them in a heartbeat. But when it comes to our marriages, we don't give that kind of grace to our spouses. And I think it's because a baby comes into this world and we give that baby unconditional love and we nurture that baby and we watch them grow and there's a, a parental bond that's different than a spouse bond. They're both great. But when you said I do to your spouse, you became one flesh with your spouse. Even though your kids are your flesh and blood, you're not one flesh with them like you are your spouse. The ultimate relationship 
is that covenant between a man and a woman in the covenant of marriage made before God. There was, this was a long time ago. I was counseling a couple whose marriage was on the rocks. She had had it. And she was really contemplating leaving and, and divorce. And um, he had repented. He, he was really um, kind of pursuing business and ventures more than, than his wife and, and kids. And so she had kind of had it. And it was about to check him off. And I remember them sitting in my office. And I asked her, I said, if one of your children went wayward and, you know, did nasty things to you and said nasty things, but they repented and came back, would you receive them back? She said, I would. I said, can you give that same grace to your husband? And I saw the aha moment. She went, she said, yeah. And they've gone on to have a great marriage and and grandkids now. And and it was a thing, a, a beautiful thing. Giving that grace, learning to love the way Jesus loves us. Love with your heart rather than your head. <laughs> if people are not on your heart, they're going to get on your nerves, <laughs> right? But when they're in your heart, that's what Paul's talking about. You're on my heart. You can overlook the flaws and you make room for that. And people, you give people an opportunity to grow. Some of you might be saying, Scott, this is hard. You don't know my kids. You don't know my parents. You don't know my spouse. You don't know my situation. I don't. And you're saying, I can't do that. Well, you can't. But can Jesus? Can the Holy Spirit through you love a difficult person? Love a difficult situation? Look at this promise in Romans 5.5. God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So the Holy Spirit in you can love the difficult person even when your emotions aren't connected to it, even when your feelings are lying to you that you can't love somebody. The Holy Spirit dwells in you to give you the ability and power to love difficult people. Anybody ever see those those magic eye posters? Do you remember those? I remember as a kid, you, you look at it, and your eyes don't adjust, and it just looks like a bunch of colors and dots or whatever. But when your eyes see it, you, we used to have one that had a big shark. You could all of a sudden, and you can't unsee the shark once you see it. Once your eyes have adjusted to the magic eye poster, you can't unsee it. Once you follow Jesus wholeheartedly, you're going to see people differently. You're going to be able to see people through the eyes of a compassionate father and Savior, and you won't be able to unsee that because you see how much He loves you and what He's done for you, and then you can give that back. Who doesn't love John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world, He gave His one and only Son, that whosoever believes will not perish but have eternal life. That's John 3.16. We need to live 1 John 3.16, which says this, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. You lay down your life every time you forgive. You lay down your life every time you choose to forgive, to forget, 
to reconcile. Jesus' will for relationships and people is always reconciliation. Even under the most trying situations, his goal, his, his point is reconciliation. Always. That doesn't mean there's not a thing called boundaries and that kind of stuff. Of course there is. No one's to be mistreated or abused in any of those situations. But most of the time, our reconciliation is just a matter of us getting over our hurts, our offenses, and saying, I'm going to love this person. You're laying down your life. This is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life. That's the example for all of us. I want to symbolically, on behalf of all of us, if you would stand with me, I'm not going to throw these, I promise. Um, right now, some of us in this room have a brick of resentment towards a key relationship, friendship, church, marriage, family, parents. Let's remove these bricks. Let's remove them. And you know how we do it? We take them right here. We put them at the foot of the cross where Jesus forgave us, died for us to reconcile us to him. And so that brick that came to your mind when I said resentment, if you would by faith with me believe that we just took our bricks to the cross. I couldn't come up with 200 bricks for everybody to do this. So I'm, I'm the sub, the st- whatever word, you know what I mean? Me, what word am I looking for, Craig? Nah, I, that's too much like Jesus. <laughs> I, I, I'm the lead sheep, lead sheep representative. There you go. Take those bricks to the cross. Otherwise you're the only person that's going to truly get hurt. If you hold on to unforgiveness and resentment, it really creates a prison for us. And the key is with us to give it to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, you created us for community. You created us for friendships. You created us for families. You created us for marriage. And Lord, we recognize that these relationships can be difficult. But through you, we can do all things. We thank you for the joys of relationships. Help us to be patient with one another, kind, gentle, respectful, to honor each other. And in so doing that, Lord, we know we'll be honoring you. And that's what we want. So Lord, those who are struggling this morning in relationships, Give them the strength to come to you and to find the power and the grace that they need. God, I pray over all the marriages of Novation that they would be strong and built upon you, Lord Jesus. I pray for our friendships that are represented at Novation, both within the church and and beyond, that you would strengthen our friendships, that we would truly have one another's backs and care for one another. And I pray for families, God, 
I pray for sons and daughters and parents to connect through Christ in their families. I pray for our kids in our families at Novation to respect and honor their parents. And I pray for fathers not to exasperate their children. I pray for moms to have strength to nurture little ones to, to adults and to care. Thank you, Lord, that we have everything we need in Jesus. And we agree with you individually and corporately today. You are the Lord of all, and you're the Savior of all. And we acknowledge that by faith today. In Jesus' name, amen.